Hello again, this is Brian Handley. I'm founder and managing director of ROI Executive Search, and we do retained executive search across the middle market globally. Today's the next step in our journey into the corner office, and I'm here to welcome Falguni Desai. She is an experienced marketing leader at Procter & Gamble, who leads a North American grooming direct-to-consumer business and also serves as a managing director for The Art of Shaving. She spent almost two decades working across more than a dozen iconic brands from upstream innovation roles to managing P&Ls across established businesses and startup models. And she has a consistent track record of delivering breakthrough results in the most challenging of situations here in the U.S. and globally. Valguni Desai, welcome into the corner office. Thank you for having me, Brant. It's great to be here. <laughs> well, we talked a couple of months ago, and it's so great that we've been able to reconnect. And uh, I guess you're up in Boston today, not too far up the road from me, or did we catch you somewhere else on the planet? Definitely in Boston. Okay, good. Well, we're getting, we're getting a little afternoon sunshine here. I guess you've got, had a couple of dustings as well, but the winter's been quite mild, so let's keep our fingers crossed. Absolutely. It will be dark here soon. Now, you started your life journey, though, in a very different place, and uh, we kind of like to start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what your early family life was like. In a city of more than 10 million people in the 1980s, my family and I lived in Bombay. It's known as the city of dreams. And part of my parents' dream was to ensure their children, their next generation, would have access to education and opportunities that, frankly, were not offered to them in their time. They made the decision to move to the U.S. and work towards what we all know as the American dream. My dad came ahead of the family. He wanted to find a job. Like many immigrant experiences, it was really hard. Here he was in India, a business owner. He had a college degree. But when he came to the U.S., he was only offered low-wage jobs. And we settled in Indiana, Indiana, Which is okay. sort of funny. Was there family there? What, what made him choose that part of the country? My dad actually had family in Chicago. He okay. interviewed for jobs far and wide. He uh, found a job in Indianapolis, yeah. which was funny because people used to ask me if we came to Indiana because we thought there were Indian people there. <laughs> oh, boy. This is clearly not the case. It was just a coincidence. Um, uh, but yeah, so no, growing up, I mean, my, uh, mom also worked outside of the home and, uh, similar, yeah. it was, you know, tough for her to find opportunities. She wasn't a native English speaker. Um, so here right. she worked at like a dairy plant, um, and really worked odd shifts so she could take care of her responsibilities wow. at home. Uh, she worked on the assembly line. Um, but you know, they worked really hard and they wanted us to have more opportunities than they had, which I think is the same for many parents Fantastic. across many generations. And um, yeah. one also a big immigrant story too. Very, very common. How, how old were you and your brothers when um, you arrived? So I was four at the time and wow. okay. my brothers were probably like middle school age. So they were a bit older than me. Yeah, but a little older. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have memories of India and growing up? Is there some childhood things there that you recall? And I definitely had a lot of memories um, visiting India during some of the summer vacations growing up. Okay. And I remember being completely spoiled by my aunts and uncles, um, nice. many of which I didn't yeah. even really know that well, but they knew who I was and they knew me. And I remember every time learning new things about my culture and then, of course, eating amazing food. Right. Having your, having your core and your roots there. Fantastic. Well, tell me a little bit about, you know, growing up in America as, a, as an immigrant and, you know, kind of the, some of the influences that you had around you. I mean, were there extended family members close by? Did you, you know, get connected with a, 
you know, a, a, a community and, you know, from your religious beliefs or was there other folks that kind of made that transition, you know, maybe a little easier than some because, you know, immig- immigrant, it, that's, that's a hard time to come, particularly given that your dad had to take a job, obviously, that was outside of his uh, or well below, I guess, his educated level. And, you know, what, what are your memories from, from those early days from folks that might have had an yeah. imprint on you? No, it's a great question. I mean, we, you know, today we talk a lot about representation and I, I must say that like growing up, I I didn't have a lot of people to look up to that looked like me. Um, You know, many Mm. people, it's like even my name, right? A lot of people didn't know how to say my name. So like a lot of the kids at school would say, you know, Pocahontas or Jasmine, because it was much easier from a, you know, popular culture, um, you know, association. But, you know, I was very blessed to have a lot of teachers um, who were very supportive and really believed in me. I mean, they made such a huge difference. Um, so I, I would say that that really, uh, you know, made a huge difference in terms of. My yeah. Any call out to one in particular or names that you remember or specific learnings that you might have gotten from those teachers? Ah, in terms of shout outs, um, there's so many, but just a few would be Miss Harrington, mm. Mr. White, Mr. Woodling. They invested in me. They encouraged me. They gave me sound yeah. advice. And most importantly, they believed in me. Yeah. That's awesome. Were you a good student in school? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. I would not say that I was the smartest, um, okay. but uh, I always had a love of learning and I definitely wanted to yeah. get better. Um, I was really diligent. I worked really hard. Um, I don't think I ever said like, I, I can't do this. It was more of like, I don't know how to do this yet and I need to go figure it right. out. What about outside activities? Any sports you pursued or, you know, drama, arts, music, things like that that you enjoy? Yes, I was very involved with sports. Um, I ran cross country and track. I grew up in Indiana, so I clearly played basketball. I would like to say that I played sports, which is very different than being good at sports. So I did not excel at sports. I was not good at sports. However, I did stay in the game. I was never an MVP, but I would always get awards like best mental attitude and most improved. It taught me a lot about teamwork, collaboration, and also to value progress over perfection. I was in the math science magnet, uh, shout out to Tech High School in Indianapolis, and I was really lucky to have enrichment opportunities in science labs growing up. Um, And I was actually really blessed to have several mentors who really invested in me and my potential. Uh, One was Dr. Larry Doolin. He was a retired chemist, and he actually volunteered his time and money to the school Um, He was really passionate about increasing minority representation in STEM. There was also Dr. Mark Gable, who is the professor of biochemistry at the IU School of Medicine. He gave me the opportunity to work in his labs over basically summers through high school and college. Um, Incredible opportunity as well. I think, you know, science gave me answers for a lot of my curiosity, and it taught me to form opinions based on observations and critical thinking all of which are great skills for business. I will say even as early as, you know, middle school, I was involved in a lot of social impact work through our local United Way chapter. I always participated in events and different issues in our community. And I truly believe that each person has the power to do good or the opposite. And even now, it's one of the things that I love about PNG. I mean, you know, our brands and our businesses have 
great power and responsibility. And I love that the company is able to use kind of our force for growth and, and to be a force for good. Right, right. What about entrepreneurial things? Were there anything that you pursued uh, in an entrepreneurial nature, junior high, high school, that, that level? Yes. Entrepreneurship is definitely in my veins. I always had a bit of a hustle. Um, in high school, actually, one of my teachers got me involved in DECA. I don't know if you're familiar with DECA, but it's a, you know, a nonprofit. It's a program that's focused on preparing young people to have jobs and disciplines like marketing, finance, hospitality. And I went to this competition and I racked up all these awards and I was thinking, maybe I should learn more about marketing. It's, it's something that I might be good at. <laughs> I love it. What about uh, jobs? Did you have to do part-time jobs? Was that something that mom and dad encouraged you or were they much more concerned about you, you know, focusing on getting good grades going through high school? My brothers both had paper routes um, and my parents actually became small business owners when I went into middle school. They had an ice cream shop. So I would be working there after school and on weekends. You know, it taught me a lot about running a business. Um, I'll be at a small one. I learned about customer service, inventory management, how to run a P&L. And so it was uh, kind of the start of my passion for running businesses. <laughs> so you went to Indiana University. Obviously, that was the, the local opportunity. Was that your first choice? Were there other schools that you took a look at or, you know, due to, you know, circumstances, that was really the, the only place to go, so to speak? My parents had left their home and moved to another country uh, for more education and economic opportunities for their children. So not going to college was not an option. I did say, however, I was going to go to the best school I could get into that would offer me the most scholarship money. I became financially independent early on, and I never wanted to be a financial burden. I was accepted into Indiana University. I received several different scholarships. Um, I also took on uh, the responsibilities of being like an RA and a diversity educator in the dorms, which also helped me cover room and board. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And you pursued biology as a, as a, as a bachelor's. Did you have uh, aspirations about going either into the medical field or maybe following your dad into, into the chemistry field? In terms of majors, I had a passion for the sciences and STEM, but also had a passion for business. And so what was great right. at IU is that there was a program yeah. called the Liberal Arts and Management Program, LAMP, and it allowed me to do my biology major in the College of Arts and Science and also right. complete a program in the Kelly School of Business that gave me a business certificate. I also picked up poli-sci uh, poli and minors, which was great mm. because it taught me about the role that economy plays in shaping politics and government which in turn impact business. Yeah. I wasn't really sure how all these disciplines fit together at the time, but it definitely helped me craft the skill set that I have today. Fabulous. Well, you got your start at P&G. We, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago that we share that in common. Proctor was also my first employer, of course, about 20 years before you, so I feel dated in that regard. <laughs> did did P&G come and recruit at IU, or is it some, was that a company that you sought out uh, after graduation? I applied to so many companies and most said, hey, you seem really talented. Please reach back out after you get a few years of work experience under your belt and maybe even finish your MBA. And there was a company that invited me to take part in a one-week summer camp mm. during my undergrad. Uh, the company was Procter & Gamble. I learned all about brand management and thought it was the coolest ever. At the end of the camp, I applied for an yeah. internship. 
And after successfully completing the internship, I returned to P&G as a full-time hire wow. uh, within the pharmaceutical division. Yeah, yeah. P&G is just an amazing company. New hires are given real responsibility on day one. The work is meaningful. Yeah, um, for true. me, it's taken me to places that I never would have imagined. Yeah. Um, whether it would be leading breakthrough innovation at a global level, being offered access to world-class training and development, um, or just being part of a company that really takes the hard right versus the easy wrong. I have been so thankful for every opportunity and everything that I have learned. Tell me about the summer camp. So was that something that they offered, uh, uh, you know, students at various universities? Was that something that you, you know, actually applied for and heard about? Because that, that, that's the first I've heard about Proctor offering that. Yeah. So even 20 years later, they still have this summer camp. Um, it is now called the Standout Emerging Leaders Camp. I would encourage any college students uh, that are listening to apply if it ah, is of interest. Cool. It's an immersive experience. The company brings you out to Cincinnati and our global headquarters. Yeah. You meet with leaders and new hires and just get to know what P&G is all about. That's cool. And before you leave, you actually get the opportunity to interview for an internship for the following year. So just sure, go to pngcareers.com sure. or you can search for the standout emerging leaders camp, Procter & Gamble. Um, there is also a similar program for MBAs. Uh, just right, search for right. MBA Brand Camp. And you got some insights into the culture there. Did they did they uh, conduct that uh, camp in Cincinnati? Was it at headquarters? It was. I got to spend yeah, a couple weeks in Cincinnati. Sweet. Yeah, cool, great. So you went right into brand management and uh, working on the pharmaceutical side. And again, knowing Proctor, they, they kind of throw you in the deep end pretty quickly. Um, how did you kind of assimilate there? Did, did you feel at home right away? I mean, obviously the summer camp, I'm sure helped, but, um, you know, it's kind of a sink or swim, you know, type of an organization. And at least it, it certainly was, you know, back when I started 20 odd years ago, <laughs> 40 odd years ago. Sorry. <laughs> I got to get my decades right. I have been blessed with many great bosses and coaches. Mm. They taught me to first understand uh, what is expected of you and then deliver and over-deliver on those expectations. Oh, My yeah. first six months were tough, but so much of learning is actually on the job. So it got easier once I learned right. some of the fundamentals of what was expected in for corporate America. I also did some great trainings. Like I remember P&G offered the Stephen Covey Seven Habits course at the time. Right. It was great. I also had a great manager, an amazing team and mentors that helped me succeed. I started pulling all of these different things together and the learning that um, I was getting and put it into action. And I really started seeing great results. Right. Right. Awesome. And uh, do you remember the first time you started managing people? Did, did you have that in the ABM role or did that come about when you became brand manager on Pantene? P&G is intentional about people development yeah. as the company believes that people are really our most valuable asset. I started out being an intern coach cool. and then started getting more experience with direct reports as a brand manager and beyond. I took on roles of increasing responsibility and I absolutely love the people part of my job. It's a big responsibility and you know no one's perfect, but you learn a lot about the type of boss you want to be through the bosses you've had. Right. And at the end of the day, I think we hire incredible people. And part of my job is to create an inspiring vision to really help unlock their potential to bust barriers and help them achieve their goals. What were some of those early leadership lessons you took away from those early assignments? Yeah, I think one of them was just 
delivering <laughs> and over delivering <laughs> on expectations. Um, you know, it, it is a high bar that, that everyone has and, and making sure that you can create that vision of what you want to go after and how do you get there, um, I think was an important lesson early on. Has mentoring been pretty big for you too in, in, during the Proctor years? I know you, you mentioned certainly several coaches and teachers and so forth along the way, but, um, you know, did, did Proctor kind of emphasize that as you were growing up with them? Some of those great bosses that I have had actually later became great mentors. And I actually believe some of the best mentors are people who have worked with you. They know you, you know, frankly, they're, they're people who you have delivered results for and they want to see you succeed. Similarly, I think it's really important to pay it forward. I've been a mentor to dozens of people over the course of my career, and it's extremely rewarding. I really believe that mentors can make a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific. And, um, you know, curious about kind of where Proctor is today versus where they were in my time. There weren't a lot of female brand managers, let alone those getting into general management back in the day. Is that changing today at Proctor? We really aspire to build a better world for everyone inside and outside of P&G. You know, a world that is free from gender bias and where everyone has equal voice and representation. And when we do this, we know that economies can grow, communities are healthier, and businesses can thrive, and the world is a better place for everyone. So we have actually been very focused on areas that we can have the greatest impact. So from my marketing and brand lens, you know, we have been leveraging our uh, significant voice in advertising and media to tackle gender bias. Uh, We've also been removing barriers to education for girls and economic opportunities for women through corporate and brand programs and policy advocacy. And we're creating an inclusive gender equal environment within P&G while advocating for gender and intersectional equity, um, equality in the workplaces everywhere so that everyone can contribute to their full potential. Excitingly, women represent almost half of our management roles and about one third of our senior leadership. Oh, you also got international experience very early on, which is you know one of the things I love about Proctor. In fact, you were in Singapore, I think, straight from Cincinnati. We share that in common. I spent about two or three years there before I made my shift away from Proctor. Um, what, was that something intentional that you kind of raised your hand about? Because uh, I know you also went on to Canada as well. Or was it one of the opportunities that came your way because of your performance and you know your interest? I knew that I wanted an international uh-huh. assignment from the moment I joined the company. I consistently brought it up every year during my annual review and career discussion. So when my GM approached me on the opportunity in Singapore, I couldn't pack my bags fast enough. (laughs) I loved my experience. The business benefited from the category experience that I had. And I also learned so much about being in a different market, um, different consumers. And I really do believe it made me a better leader and a global citizen. And I think you did that on the Pantene business, on the, on the Pantene shampoo yes. business. Yes. One yeah. of my projects yeah. was actually focused yeah. on the India market, and it was an incredible experience. Um, you know, as I shared, I was born in India, but spent most of my time growing up in the U.S. And although I spent, you know, summers visiting my family, I realized during that assignment that so much of my view of India was limited to the region of India that I was from. So it was incredible to be a student and really Mm, learn about the diversity that is India and the Indian consumer. You know, 28 different states, unique languages, customs, 
um, different religious influences. You know, I was blown away and I walked away from that experience with even more pride of identifying as an Indian American. Did a few home visits there, I imagine. Of course. In, in my world, it's one of the best ways to learn how people live and how they interact with your category and products. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. And then interestingly, when you returned, you actually didn't come back to uh, Cincinnati. You came back to Toronto. So, so tell us a little bit about that trajectory and, and what brought that about. Before video calls became popular, I actually did a video interview while in Singapore for a job in Toronto. I was offered the job and moved to Toronto for a few years to run our home care portfolio in Canada. And although I was not a GM, I Mm. certainly did feel like I was the GM of Home Care Canada. Mm. I was empowered. I had a great team. And there was so much opportunity. It was also the first time I learned about more of our retail partners and customers and how we sell to them. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. And then uh, about halfway through your career, I think it's about, that's about right. So the last seven, eight years now, you've been in the shaving business, uh, first with the Gillette organization, the art of shaving. We'll get into that in a moment. Um, Again, was that kind of like an internal uh, hire, internal interview? How did that move come about to get you into Boston where you now stay? I received the incredible opportunity to come back home to the U.S. and lead the Gillette Venus brand at our world shaving headquarters in Boston. You know, Gillette's Mm -hmm. such an iconic brand and one of the most valuable and innovative brands in the world. I jumped on the chance to be a part of it, and I led the Gillette Venus business for years. I later moved on to Gillette and then took on the art of shaving responsibilities. And Venus, for those that don't know, is is the woman shaving, right? The the woman, female, female products. And is that brand still existing today? I think it is. Gillette Venus is the market leader. The brand has... The best products for women continues to innovate to serve millions of women around the world. Uh, The campaign on My Skin, My Way shines a light on women who are defying stereotypes and writing their own rules. And I love that the brand is so authentically Ah. purpose-driven with efforts aimed at body positivity, sustainability, and diverse representation on and off the camera. Yeah. Have you become a Red Sox fan? Is that a trick? I mean, I I think... (laughs) (laughs) i you know connecticut is funny because we're like a purple state when it comes between you know new york and boston i've always been a boston supporter even though i grew up in california so no tricks intended but uh you know coming from indiana (laughs) (laughs) well uh, the red sox have won the world series twice while i have lived here the city goes wild and similarly thanks to the gillette sponsorship i've been lucky enough to make it to a few patriots games as well Despite growing up in Indiana, it's hard not to fall in love with Boston sports. The passion for winning is impressive, and I give the sports teams here a lot of respect. Well, let's talk a little bit about your current role. I run our digital commerce business for Procter & Gamble's North America grooming brands, and I also get the amazing privilege and responsibilities to run the art of shaving business, which is actually a separately run company that serves luxury men's grooming consumers channels and markets. And, you know, I was so amazed, um, you know, to obviously have a chance to, to get to know you at first. And, you know, one, one thinks of shaving as a man's business, right? So I think art of shaving and we have a female running that business. That's very, very interesting. Well, as I said before, PNG envisions a world free from gender bias with equal voice and equal representation for all individuals. 
And that means it's totally okay for a woman to run a business that is aimed at male consumers. Now, you know, this was a, a, a brand that was purchased by Procter, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Wasn't it originally down in Miami? And you spent some time there. Is that correct? The Art of Shaving was founded yeah. more than 25 years ago by a married couple. Eric was an entrepreneur and Miriam's background was in aromatherapy. She saw him experience redness and razor burn after shaving. So she concocted a formula made of essential oils right there on her kitchen sink. That later went on to becoming the first product in our signature mm. lineup of the four elements of the perfect shave. They sold their car, bought a storefront in Manhattan. You know, although we are still the art of shaving, we have uh, since then gone on to innovate and launch products in beard care, hair yeah. care, skin care, and fragrances. And we have aromas like sandalwood and lavender that are sustainably sourced from around the world. Wow. And if you want that amazing, luxurious, smooth, irritation-free shave without the aromas, we also have unscented products. Now, did they integrate a lot of Procter people in the beginning or did they let it run uh, with Eric and his wife as a standalone business for some time? You know, how, what were those early days like? I know you weren't there. You've only been there for a couple of years, but uh, how did that start out? Even though the founders left shortly after the acquisition, PNG wanted the art of shaving to continue operating independently so the business and people could focus on what they do best. Select PNG leaders were integrated into the business so that the art of shaving benefited from the resources and key capabilities. Yeah. So tell us about the pivot. They started as a retail operation. We're selling products through there, of course, as well. And I believe they had a number of stores nationally, did they not, over the last, uh, well, since the time that they originally opened? Many consumers knew us as a brand they saw in malls. And as mall traffic declined and as consumer shopping preferences were changing, we needed to transform our business and business model to truly being an omni-channel business that served consumers where they were. You've, you've talked, you mentioned a couple of times about the transformation of the business. Describe for us that pivot a little bit. What has what, what really transformed? Has it been now moving more away from a retail-focused business to more of an e-commerce? Do you folks also have products that are available at retail? You know, what are, what are some of the elements of, of what's going on with the transformation? We have been focused on driving superiority across vectors like product, packaging, and retail execution, both in-store and online. Mm. We have changed from a brand that exists primarily at mall stores to a prestige brand that has select flagship locations, like on Madison Avenue and Disney Springs, yet is also innovating in and where and how we reach our consumers. Beyond DTC, we are experimenting with live selling capabilities by creating America's first live stream barbershop, but also through strategic partnerships and collaborations. Our relationships with Sterling's Mobile allows us to have a luxury mobile barbershop experience that comes to you. How cool is that? Is it like a big mobile home or what's (laughs) the actual? It's a trailer, yes. We even have a presence (laughs) at LaGuardia's airport in a retail experience called The Dean. You can actually get a fresh cut and shave before or after your flight. You know, it just seems um, so different than than many of the core Procter businesses, and and maybe I'm dating myself, but as I remember them. But you know, you you worked on some pretty core brands as well. H- how have you kind of tapped into, you know, the, the the needed skills to do a lot of these new things? Is is Procter more and more innovative? Do they have an innovative shop? Have you looked elsewhere to bring in a lot of these new ideas? Because it is quite a different business than your standard P and G brand. P&G stays at the forefront, and it's really because of the obsession with the consumer and solving their unmet needs and problems. But when you infuse a global corporation with the spirit of a startup like The Art of Shaving, it unlocks a new world and new ways to reinvent every aspect of the business. 
I think we're in a unique position in leveraging right. PMG's core competencies right. while also helping the company to be a learning lab for newer capabilities. Awesome. How has your leadership style uh, evolved over time? Early in your career, you're more of an individual contributor. But as you grow, more and more of my time has actually been spent on unleashing our people. Is everyone clear on the vision and strategy? Is the team focused on the right areas? Do we have the right training, coaching, and developmental mm. plans for our people and teams? What are the systemic barriers or processes we need to address? That really requires visionary leadership and servant leadership. Well, you mentioned, you know, obviously this was a, an acquisition and it had been around for, for 20, 25 years before Proctor purchased it. You know, culture is so important in companies. And, you know, how is that sustained and how has it changed? You know, is there is there a, a separate kind of art of shaving culture that you can say, yeah, we're P&G, but we're different in this way? Or, or are the two kind of, you know, converging or have, have converged more, I guess, since the days uh, of it being purchased? As a person who's worked in different P&G offices around the world, I can definitively say there is a P&G culture. When you get hired onto the company, you get an employee badge. And on that badge, you see key values mm -hmm. of the company. We call them the purpose, values, and principles. And these are areas like trust, integrity, ownership, leadership. Yeah. All of those are consistent no matter where you work in the company. However, on the art of shaving, we do pride ourselves in the spirit of entrepreneurship. Because we're smaller, we can sometimes right. move a little bit faster and I actually think that we have the best of both worlds. Yeah, cool. What, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire? The company has a standard approach for recruiting talent. We are looking for qualities like leadership, collaboration, and the ability to bring out the best in others. We're also looking for people who have a growth mindset. Those who embrace challenges, mm. can take feedback, and realize that effort is the path to mastery. Six factors of, of effective performance. I remember them very well. <laughs> yeah. How do you get at that? I mean, what, what's kind of your favorite interview line of questioning to kind of get at that potential? Because it's, it's, it's a hard thing to uncover, particularly, you know, if Proctor, you know, hires so many people, kids just straight out of school. And, you know, let's face it, a lot of folks don't really know what they want to do when they're that age. But, you know, you have to kind of look for things or ask in certain ways to discover that. How do you go about doing that? I also bring in a lot of experienced hires. I really like to understand why they are interested in making a move and what energizes them in their current role, what drains their energy. That helps me understand some of their motivators and values, and it helps me assess fit and whether I think they would be happy in the role that they're interviewing for. Well, Fulguni, you've been so generous with your time, so thank you. We, we always so, so grateful for that. We always have one last question we always ask, and, and that's kind of what career and life advice would you give someone that, you know, is maybe mid-career and taking a look at their, you know, moving forward and, you know, maybe have their eyes on the corner office as well? In terms of advice, I do have a few tips. One would be, mm. be clear on what you want and why you want it. Ideally, you want to progress because you want to run a business and make an impact. You want, uh, you have a desire to lead and to serve. If those are not the motivators, it will be very tough to get through the challenges that come with leadership roles. I would also encourage people to take on the different roles and experiences that give you the breadth of skills you need to be successful in the role that you're working towards. Additionally, know your own boundaries. Find a right way to find the balance early in your career because it's hard to break bad habits. Lastly, just believe in yourself. That is really, really important. Right, right. 
Very cool. Great. Well, Faguni Desai, CEO and Managing Director of the Art of Shaving, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you so much for having me today. It's been a ton of fun.